Hi there. Welcome to the Mentoring Club podcast. In this podcast series, you are listening to pairs of mentors who were put together randomly. They all joined the Mentoring Club to share their experiences and insights in one-on-one -on -one sessions. But now, with this podcast, we are widening our spectrum to allow more people to learn and grow. The topics and discussions you will be listening to are as diverse as these pairs. In case you want to know more or meet one of our mentors, visit mentoring-club.com. And now, lean back and enjoy the talk. Very warm welcome to everyone who already joined us um, on today's Friday afternoon panel. My name is Susie, I'm director at Austin Fraser. And we are a tech recruitment company and we're driving leaders in tech events since many years. Why do we do this? We actually want to bring the tech community together to learn, share, exchange about current challenges and opportunities. And on actually one of these events many years ago, Bastian, we met. <laughs> and since then we met several times, we spoke and recently Bastian founded Mentoring Club. We got in touch again, and this is where the idea of today's session was born. So handing over to you, Bastian. Hi, yeah, also welcome to everyone, um, to the attendees, but also to the panelists. Um, quick words about the mentoring club. So it's, it's actually not, there was not a plan to found a company or something, but uh, it started with just myself and a colleague of mine just uh, saying, okay, let's donate some time in these hard times of Corona, right, while sitting at home and people are in need for maybe learning, etc. And that's what we started in April. And a couple of weeks later, we were 20, 30 people. And today we are more than 250 around the world from 14 different time zones, speaking more than 25 languages, etc. And uh, yeah, that became kind of a good, <laughs> great movement. Um, and uh, beside these one-on-one -on -one mentorings, which you can book for free, um, mentoring-club.com. We also do podcasts now. We do these panels, um, all with the goal to actually give as much as possible in terms of knowledge, in terms of experience, because we believe that that's, that's what, what is a great side effect of us and our technology, right? That we can share easily and help others to grow as well. And with that, make just, um, yeah, leave something good for, 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 our, for, our, uh, for our world, right? And on our panel today, um, Daniel Valen uh, is joining us from Indeed um, and is like moderating the whole panel. Thank you, Daniel, first of all, for supporting us on today's event. Uh, handing over to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Susie. And, um, you know, uh, Bastian, you were talking about a global movement you kind of created there. And, you know, who would be more suitable than the global number one sites for jobs uh, called Indeed. <laughs> and so I'm very glad to, to be facilitating this conversation. We have a, an incredibly distinguished uh, panel today and I'm really excited. We had, a, I think, a great conversation yesterday and we all felt we have some great ideas and impulses. So I'm really excited about today. We're going to be talking about the engineering manager as a master recruiter. I'm going to be introducing the panel um, in just a minute. I do want to um, acknowledge, number one, nobody today has a mute button, unlike certain presidential uh, debates. <laughs> so I would, I would ask for, for discipline in the panel, please. Um, there is the option to ask questions at any time uh, in the chat. Um, and I will try to kind of feed them into the discussion as we go. We have divided the... Um, the panel today into four sections, each 15 minutes, and I'll try to keep us honest to the time. 
And so looking around the virtual room, uh, I wanna start with Susie, of course, who has already introduced herself. Susie, great to have you. And then we have Bastion, of course, from Delivery Hero. Now let me not say the company names wrong. And then we have Joaquin from Amazon Web Services. And we have Suresh from Trade Republic. Is that correct? I'm sorry, I, this is very small. I'm just an me. advisor there now, so I'm an independent uh, consultant. Okay, he's a very <laughs> independent person, which is great. Good, <laughs> good, good for you. And, uh, and then we have, uh, we have Charlotte from Echo Pharmacy. And then lastly, we have Sebastian with the greatest last name in the, in, in the world from, uh, is, is that, I'm sorry, is it Cross Engage, correct? Correct. Okay. Wonderful. All right. So no more, without further ado, right into our, you know, into our panel. The first question really kind of deals with the subject of this panel and somehow the role of the hiring manager versus, you know, the recruiter who should be doing what. And I would like to start with Charlotte, who was talking about her very own challenges here. How would you approach that, Charlotte? Um, so uh, nice, uh, first off, great to be part of this panel. Uh, nice to meet all of you. Uh, mentors don't often get to talk to each other. So uh, this has been a really good opportunity for that. Um, I work at Echo, which is a small, like I think 40 people in our product and engineering side of things. Um, so as far as my experience of uh, leading recruitment, I think that it should be the, led by the hiring manager as much as possible. Um, the reason I think that is that there's so much to be done in terms of like picking the right candidate, finding the right cultural fit. And the person who's the best place for that is the person who's been talking to your team like on a regular basis. Um, this comes from a place of like being in a small startup though. So I don't actually get to regularly work with recruiters, but there are some things where I think it would be more beneficial to lead it off to your recruiter. And one of them is um, going to be like sourcing. I don't always have the time to be able to go off and talk to all these great candidates. I don't have the time to come up with all of the places that I should be posting my job advert. Um, There's only I, just one, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> go ahead, please. <laughs> um, so like that's one way that a recruiter can support you but i think it should be supportive rather than led by the recruiter for the reason that i just mentioned yeah, so i am power of silence here all right <laughs> I, I will just take take the the opportunity to say uh, first of all thank you everyone uh, for having me here also as well uh, a pleasure to be connecting with everyone in this panel and on the audience uh, in these uh, corona times and virtual times. Um, so I, I, I've seen that um, there is a little bit of misconception sometimes on who um, who has the ownership and who is involved, right? Uh, sometimes what you see is that the the hiring manager uh, has the the conception of recruiting taking all the, uh, let's say, recruiting activities as, uh, as in a way that it's uh, offloaded the activity and the hiring manager is basically taking the, the candidates um, in the process once the, the first, um, let's say, um, um, uh, once the candidates are in the in the pipeline, right? And and in my experience, that doesn't lead to the best candidate experience. 
and also it doesn't uh, uh, create this kind of engagement that you want to have uh, for the candidate uh, and for the business as a whole. So um, I've seen that when the when the hiring manager is actually owning the the efforts and and working together with recruiting and with his team or her team to make sure that we are able to um, offer uh, something that is valuable for the candidate and uh, and translating a little bit what it means to work in in in, in the company it it leads to the, a much clearer picture for the candidate but it also leads to better results huh? so the, the the ownership of the hiring manager is in my view a big uh, success factor to to make it happen yeah and i i hi i'm sebastian also super happy to to be here and uh, talk to you uh yeah i, I can uh, i think you you make a very great point there it's it's uh, again a thing of who's accountable and who's who's do doing what in the process right and um i I uh, personally also uh, like it if the hiring manager is in uh, in charge of the process and, and is leading uh, in order to yeah basically uh, uh, yeah build the team that that uh, is the right uh, team for the for the challenge at hand for the for the hiring manager in the moment right and then uh, to to something that uh, Charlotte said earlier I also like it if the hiring manager actually is has a touch point very early on with the candidate in the candidate uh, experience so I even like to personally do uh, the screening calls initially because um, the, the first touch point actually is like the first uh, potential touch point in, in at the start of a relationship. And that that is a big chance for, for any hiring manager to really uh, uh, kind of set the pace for the relationship and already put in some anchors that, that helps the candidate then uh, early on to find out if he or she would would like to to work in that company if it's the, the right fit from that perspective but also uh, get a really good impression and obviously it it shows uh the 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 value that um the hiring manager is uh is is uh kind of seeing in in the candidate and also in the position mm -hmm. uh to be filled yeah great great points i i'd like to bring this whole question to like broader picture even because when we talk about hiring it's not just about hiring right it's actually the, the actual accountability of an engineering manager, of a manager is to grow this team, right? To deliver great stuff. And part of that is actually stuffing because of course you need people within the team, right? And um, when I when I look back uh, one year ago in, in Omeo, I was working in Omeo then, I had the opportunity to, to hire a lot of people. So even staff full teams. And a couple of months later, when you see all these people started, you see, how they actually then interact, have fun together, right? Be happy about delivering um, awesome things. And one thing that came to my mind then was the actual thing that you do when you start talking to candidates is that you select people who eventually become not just colleagues, but also friends. They spend like a lot of time together, right? They are successful together. They do failures together, et cetera. And when you do this part not right, then you fail because obviously having not the right people sitting together, and this is not just about individuals, it's also, do you have the right mix in the team? Are there good introverts, extroverts, male, female, etc. right? So all this mix matters. And of course, you are the one who works with the team. It is not the recruiter. However, it's also not black and white. I also see, I had, had a lot of really great relationships with internal and external recruiters, right? I mean, Susie and I sit here in the same panel, right? So we don't hate each other, but really, because it's, 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 a, it's an immense help to actually work closely and have a relationship to then exchange about, okay, what do I actually, need? then of course they can do the sourcing, they can help with organizing stuff. I also um, 
always try to do screening calls together so that there's a good alignment so that even screening calls can be done then by, by the recruiters because they can think as I would be doing the, the interview and really understand what the team needs. So in the end, it's I see the accountability not about the process so much, but it's just part of the, the actual role of the actual responsibility of a manager to grow a team and be successful with that, right? I would just add to that, it's, uh, you know, I definitely agree on growing the team and you want a team that works together with you, but I think you're also growing a roadmap. I mean, if you're a leader, a technical leader, then you have a roadmap, right? So you're growing a team, but you're growing against a roadmap and that's very close. And I would go even further to say that you're, that you're always reinventing the team. It's not like you're growing and you have a goal and you say, okay, I'm done. You're always reinventing uh, for practical reasons. People will leave, even if you're the greatest team, greatest manager, people will leave for positive reasons. Uh, but of course your roadmap is continually evolving so you're always reinventing the team. Uh, on the recruiting side, I mean, I don't want to repeat, obviously you need a great partnership. Um, you're doing the first filtering, but you want to reach a point where your partner understands you so well that they can do screens and make it more efficient, right? They're there to make it more efficient. Depends if you're in a startup or a big company. Uh, but I'd also like to give an example. They're there to, you know, to keep you on your toes, um, point out biases, right? I mean, um, I had this situation, it was at Omeo, writing the job description, I think I got one of the best feedback from the recruiters I've had They said, hey, your wording is a bit too masculine. It may turn off um, women uh, applicants, right? Something I was completely unaware of in the way I was writing job descriptions. So we worked together to rewrite the job description. So I think that's the greatest um, input I've ever had from a, a recruitment partner. And, and that was excellent. I think it's often that these, these specialists who, who just know a bit more about recruiting and that's why they're recruiters, they can help with these insights. I found it incredibly valuable when I learned that eight out of 10 women only apply to a job ad when they feel they meet all of the requirements while it's just one out of 10 men thinking alike. So you know, I can learn that on the job. So then you all of a sudden only have male applicants and it might just be a housemaid problem and not you know, a, a problem of, of missing candidates. I did want to follow up on something there from a practical perspective. Um, Suresh, you said, and also in the, in the statement I have from you is, unfortunately, I can't spend all of my time on recruitment. What would you, in, and I will give it to the panel afterwards, what would you say is a good percentage of time that a good manager should invest in recruiting though? I think it depends on the process, right? So, I mean, if you're building a new team, obviously it's going to be 80 to 100% at the beginning. Um, I was making that statement more from a point of view, let's say you're in an established state, um, you have, um, you already have a team, you're, you're growing a team. Uh, you want to be in a state where, as I already said, you want your recruitment partner to really understand yourself, your needs uh, and the team's need so that they can take on a lot of those tasks themselves. Um, in terms of sourcing, uh, screening, and ensuring that the process uh, is an enjoyable experience for the candidate, but they also know who in your team is best to take on certain secondary, third interviews, and so on, right? Rather than you managing the whole process, right? So that you can focus on identifying the best candidates to go on with the process, uh, and then also close out um, the discussion uh, with your team. So it's really about what can you hand over to your recruitment partner with full confidence so that you can also do your day job uh, as a technical leader? I would even say there's, there's two parts of this job, right? As, as Sura said, right, of course, if you have a lot of roles, um, like I have at the moment, then you have to spend time in interviews, right? Uh, that's, that's just the, 
it's just a need you have. But I think even if you don't have a lot of roles, there's another point, which is almost being like the external representative of your team or your domain, right? So um, there's a good example of, of someone, and I don't have the name here, but on Netflix, and they uh, he leads the payment engineering team, and he also leads a payment innovation uh, user group in the Silicon Valley, right? That's that's what they do. There's also some external, um, let's yeah, let's say. Uh, evangelism about that topic, uh, writing blog posts, uh, being active on social media, LinkedIn, et cetera, to really show, okay, this is what we do here and this is how we do it, to also attract people and to, to make sure that you're known, right, for what you do. This has also an internal effect of making the people proud to actually work for that team because it, it, it matters, right? So I think this, this, is, this is an essential part of being a manager, even no matter what, what you do, right? It's, it's in product, it's in finance, it's everywhere, I, I believe. Uh, but in, in tech, it's of course uh, quite quite essential because uh, it really matters what you do, and people actually select the jobs uh, after tech stack, after challenge, after yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, and it's something that like, I've been working with my other engineering manager to build at the moment is to like actually build out our brand because obviously like Echo isn't like a well-known startup like we're not Amazon or whatever so you're not going to immediately go like I'm going to go and work for Echo they've got a great engineering culture um so something we did a few months ago was like well we've always had a, an engineering blog quite a lot of reasonably sized engineering teams have these but like how often people actually publish blog posts can vary massively. We I think we started it like last year and we got like three posts and then it's just been silence for a good six months. So we pushed quite a lot on trying to get people to write. And that was that was quite difficult. But that's it's there's an argument to be made of like how much should you do that? How much time should you actually invest in? building your engineering brand um, because like if you're not if you're hiring right now or like you're hiring a lot of people then it seems silly not to because it's you know it's free advertising right but like for us for example I'm not hiring at the moment no one else in engineering is hiring and like it tends to come on a very cyclic matter that we'll be hiring one mm -hmm. or two and then none for ages so you can invest in that um, we'll see whether it bears fruit for us um, on the flip side of it, like I only just started being a manager this year and I did my first hire about two or three months ago. Um, and I spoke to my manager and said, like, how long do you think this should take? And he's just like, kind of like, how long is a piece of string? You can either invest 100% of your time into, into it and like you can get a really great candidate in right away or you can like kind of do it in dribs and drabs. And the reality for me was just that I couldn't really, I, it, recruitment is very important to me because I think it's very foundational to the team. So for me, I was just like, this is the most important thing for me to be doing for my team right now. So I'm actually just gonna spend most of my time for as long as it takes to get the right candidate through screening and into the next mm -hmm. um, step of the process. So in that case, it actually took probably two weeks of me doing the screening calls and then another two weeks of doing in-person interviews. But you've got to be very careful when you get, I think that like the longer that you can spend in screening and the more attention you can pay to it, the better, because you have to remember that like in terms of like how much you're spending on recruiting, it's not just your salary that's going into it. It's also your senior engineers, your other engineers. You don't want to waste anyone's time. So the more that you can get your managers to focus on it and the more you can build your brand yeah. to get the best candidates, the better it will be and the less pissed off your engineers will be as well. I think also there's another element to it, which is actually building out the process. So this time around, I did spend a reasonable amount of time doing that as well. 
because we were moving from a position where everyone would be on site and I could see everything to everything being online. Um, and I think that's an important consideration because you have to remember that like your candidates are probably going to be more or less nervous depending on what type of personality they are. Your interviewers are going to be the same. Like then, like some of them might be new to interviewing, some of them might have done it a hundred times, but they've probably not done it over a video camera. So it's also important to invest a little bit of your time in doing that, especially while we're in this current situation. And I love, Charlotte, how you are already a few steps ahead in the topics we will be covering. So we'll, <laughs> we'll remember these when we get there. I did want to um, use the chance of bringing in um, questions from the audience here, which are very applicable to that very discussion. Um, and one you've already touched upon, uh, Charlotte, and I want to give it to the rest of the group. This is from Tom, and he's asking, how much frontliner are you guys? Um, are you actively searching for candidates? And I think, Bastian, you said you need to be a social hero as well at some point. I'm not sure if that was you yesterday. What's your approach to that? Anyone? Yes, so um, actually I do. So um, depends, of course, on the situation, if you have to hire a lot or not, right? But um, I actually do really search for people with uh, within LinkedIn, but even meetup.org or something are good sources, right? Where you see, okay, uh, what, what kind of meetups are, are there? Um, are they kind of close to, to the topics you have, right? Um, and then you, you find people in the end, it's kind of a stalking thing, which is maybe debatable, but obviously it's a good way to, to find people and start a conversation, right? Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's, that's one part of my job, I'd, I'd, I'd say, to to find people um, and start a conversation with them. Um. So yeah, I, I can maybe talk about um, a little bit of a technique that I use, um, that I've used mm -hmm. in the past years. I, I tend to trust um, good experience with someone and uh, meaning that I tend to leverage uh, the experience of my team and the, the contacts uh, with whom they might have worked in the past because mm -hmm. that gives you some kind of um, quality filtering, um, meaning referrals um, from someone who you know is uh, someone who is a fit, um, is, is, is bringing a lot of value and it reduces a lot the risk of uh, not being a fit because implicitly the person who is uh, doing the referral is also uh, vouching for the, for, the, for the candidate and doing a pre-screening. So, um, I tend to motivate uh, the, the people in my organization on uh, making them understand what, uh, what we are looking for, what kind of uh, profiles, and also making them understand that, that uh, they are one of the most important sources of identifying candidates. So uh, apart from doing it myself, I try to leverage uh, the network within the, the team. I mean, that's obviously always the best thing, right? Referrals, it's uh, if, if you have candidates with a high NPS, uh, then uh, yeah, that, that's uh, specifically if it comes from someone from the team that will work with the candidate, that's obviously always the best. And yeah, regarding the, the active sourcing, um, that is something that I also try to do, though I have to admit that I'm not half as good as Bastian in, in doing that. Um, but um, I also find uh, a lot of value in, in doing that, uh, specifically after referrals are 
basically emptied out and, and you've uh, pretty much uh, kind of uh, tapped into the network of, of the team, then active sourcing, I think, is a, is a very good um, good approach. And yeah, then th you are pretty pretty soon at a point where um, you you then um, kind of need to also scale this and, and make it more uh, more professional. And there then uh, a, a really good partner uh, who who knows how to how to do this and improve this uh, is is a tremendous uh, support. Yeah. And Sebastian, I I do want to um, come back to something that you said, but there's also quite a vivid. Uh, chat going on about referrals and this is something you also said in a different kind of way um, we do know and I've seen studies especially in the US for instance referrals tend to benefit only white males and then when you go down to white females and you know people of color you will have less chances of being um, referred so they do indeed have some consequences on diversity as much as you know, I read from your statement Sebastian when um, you focus too much on cultural fit and bring in people from just, you know, people that know these people, you, you, you tend to have an issue with diversity. So that's definitely one to look out for. I do want to move on to the next uh, subject, especially because we have Maxime um, actually asking the question for that segment, which is, how do you understand that a candidate is a good cultural fit for a short period of time? Um, and this goes together with a question from, um, from Europe, which is, how do you... Um, Kind of understand you know who fits and where do you filter them out so let's go to that general question of um, skill set versus mindset versus cultural fit what are you looking out for when screening interviewing assessing candidates yeah so um the obviously in in a, in such a short amount of time it is it is almost impossible to to be like 99% sure about how a candidate will unfold, right? So you can obviously look for certain things and and, uh, and the best thing is to align uh, upfront on what's important to you and align this with the team uh, that you're working with and that you're looking for someone for, uh, right? But it, there's never a hundred percent certainty. So um, yeah, and, and what I usually um, say, and this is also regarding the question of skill set versus mindset, is that in, in our uh, industry, in, in what we do, uh, usually uh, uh, skills are uh, easy to acquire if you have a certain level or if you if you kind of have a certain learning ability, which good engineers need to have because the industry is so fast moving. Um, while mindset is is a different beast. This is uh, there are strengths and 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 weaknesses. I, I actually hate the word because I see weakness is more the counter uh, to a strength actually. Um, and uh, uh, th this is not 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 easy to change, and you probably shouldn't even change it. And it is always a matter of uh, uh, like Bastian mentioned before, right? What do you have in the team already? Uh, so do you have a very introvert team? Then probably someone who is a little bit more outspoken would be a good good person if you have only people who are super pragmatic and always push um, uh, kind of li the limits, then it's probably not a bad idea to uh, add someone to the mix who is a little bit more uh, kind of uh, laid back and uh, thinking, oh, maybe we should think twice and, and uh, go a little bit more structured into a uh, situation. So this is always, um, always um, uh, kind of needed. And then 
how that how I try to address this is really think about uh, specific uh, situations that I either ask the, the candidate from the past how, how he or she uh, uh, tackled certain situations or would do that uh, in, in a certain uh, situation if it would arise in the team. And that gives a kind of good insight into yeah how the candidate really uh, uh, ticks, basically. In the end, I would say this is, is really like having test interviews where you test for specific skills, right? Questions about whatever, uh, how, how do you do this? How do you do this? Some technical questions or even how would you behave in a certain situation? I think this doesn't show you anything about who the person is, right? So I would really go for an actual conversation with someone where you really go, okay, ah, tell me about that. What, what did you do there? How, how would you solve this? And then also changing the environment. This is now quite hard with, uh, with all these remote interviews, but I, I always, always tend to also stand up in interviews and, and start a whiteboard session with someone or uh, take a counter opinion about something, right? And then you really see if, if someone is, is, is able to take ownership, if they can, you know, have a sense of humor, for example, um, and, and all, all these things, it's really having a conversation and with that you then feel, okay, is this a person I can work with? And then most importantly, my team can work with, or is this a person who's probably um, not, not mature enough for, for certain things or very self-centered when they always talk about, yeah, I, I did this, I did this, right? And, and I think you, you can figure this out uh, with, with having a, just a proper conversation. It's almost like leaning back to be better instead of being very script-based and asking all these, how would you, how would you, how would you questions? I, I really believe, um, as what you say, Bastian, and, and also Sebastian, that um, situation-based questions are, from the past are a better predictor or of future performance yeah. uh, than hypothetical questions uh, that lead to basically uh, the candidate uh, trying to figure out what would be uh, the question that might fit what you expect, uh, right? So um, this, this is a very powerful way to gather data. And a second point, um, I think that uh, given the importance of making a hiring decision, involving more than one person in the decision-making process is uh, very well-invested uh, um, time and effort. Because uh, as you know, the cost of a, a bad uh, or a non-positive successful hiring decision that leads to uh, an unsuccessful hire, a non-fit is, is very costly and, and it's not really a nice experience for everyone involved and the candidate as well, of course. Um, so um, I, I always try to involve uh, at least two people and actually more if possible in, in, in looking at um, the candidate from different angles and calibrating these persons in advance uh, regarding what are we looking for, what are the actual um, uh, aspects that are important for the role and how can we validate them in a way that it's fair for the candidate and that we try to minimize the level of bias during the interview process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm... Sorry, go on. Suresh, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, for me in data science, I mean, we're looking, unless you're very specific research positions, you're looking for problem solvers, right? They need to solve uh, customer analytics, product analytics, marketing analytics, so this is solving problems in ambiguous situations. So I have a set of standard problems, could be like marketing attribution, where I ask people how they would solve it, even if they have no experience, because it really showcases uh, how they're thinking. Do they have uh, diverse in their experience and broad thinking? 
and, and the communication will come out, especially if they have no experience, how they think about a challenge and, and speak back to me actually gets all of these out in one go. I never go into details. I'm not concerned with details. Typically at this level, most people will have the same level of details. And I'll be so bold as to say, even if, even if they don't know certain details of data science, it's something, you know, it's gonna be picked up in one or two days anyways. I don't worry about that. Uh, probably the people on my team who are doing the follow-up interviews will do that anyway. So I'm trying to really assess how do they interact with me? And that solves all of this at one level. Um, in terms of their intelligence, their problem-solving, communication, and, and team fit. Uh, because if typically, if they're going to get along uh, with me in this interview, um, then that's already a good filter uh, for the next stage, where we'll obviously discover from the other interviewers if, if they get along with them uh, in that kind of social, mental, and communication uh, all at once. Um, so that's, that's how I proceed. Um, and of course, you're conscious of, um, as we've heard before, maintaining diversity, right? I mean, we all know one smart person doesn't solve a very difficult problems, right? I mean, that's rare in the history of humanity, even. It's, it's usually diverse groups that are solving it. Uh, and with modern technology, we all know as engineers, data scientists, uh, even as product people, the problems are so complex, you need multiple views, right? So we're looking at yeah. diversity of ways of thinking. We're looking at diversities of background. For me, are they a physicist? Are they economist, a computer scientist, finance person? Um, and then you need diversity of history, right? Because we're doing very complex things. These are not just solvable with an equation, right? We have to discover. And this is what engineering is, right? There's no one way to engineer a system. There are multiple ways. Um, we learn uh, and we go about uh, getting the best way that fits for the company culture, team culture, uh, and the type of customers that uh, we are working with. And Suresh, I think what you just said, it applies to, I'd, I'd even add on all industries out there. It's so important to have diverse teams because this is like um, the future success of the company. Really love to hear that there is a lot of feedback in here um, around um, behavioral-based interviewing and cultural fit and that there is really a focus on that topic because I think it, if, if there is maybe a wrong decision quite quickly, um, like at that person joining the team can really disrupt like the team dynamics. So it's just so hugely important to get that right. And I think um, what I also heard from several um, points of views now is that like skills, technical skills can be trained to a certain level quite quickly, depending into how much detail we go through what you just said, yeah. Um, but growth mindset, willingness to learn, if this type of mindset's not there, how easily will it be to teach those people? Absolutely. It's, it's even, right, if, if you hire five very junior engineers with a great mindset that really want to learn, you might be a bit slower, but you will have great success in the future. If you, if you just hire one very senior engineer who, who is a jerk, right, who, who's like not able to work with others and always like complaining about stuff, always frustrated about the manager, then, then you're really fucked because then you won't have success. The team will, will, will probably, or people will leave the team because, because of that situation. Um, you will always have more efforts going into resolving problems uh, between people instead of to resolve the actual problems. And yeah, I, I, I would rather go with um, junior people with a good mindset instead of having one or two seniors, right, that, that, that um, probably are too frustrated to work in teams. There even is, I, sorry, I just, I just got to, so I, I need to congratulate you, by the way, Susie and Bastian, because you have invited a very interactive audience to this, um, to this, to this panel. 
And there's a lot of questions that I'm trying to get in some of them while they still may be relevant. And then we might just ditch a topic because obviously this seems to be of interest for, for everyone. Um, but there's, since there's been so many questions around wanting to learn more about interviews and the skills and um, who should be in it, um, maybe Suresh, since you had so much experience, um, people are asking, how can I learn the skills to do interviews that are you know, impactful, that are, you know, potentially have less bias in them? What would you recommend? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think my answer applies to, you know, everything, you know, that are not just purely technical, right? I mean, we talk about, you know, presenting. How do I present at a conference? How do I present to a company? I put interviewing in that same category of those things. Some people are natural, right? They're born natural or they've evolved naturally uh, to be able to just present or to communicate and, and chat with people. Um, but of course, sometimes we need training as well. And usually it's a mix of both. Um, you know, recruitments and, you know, psychologists, specialists, they have very good points. You know, like for me, I got the feedback on how to word the, the job description to be more inclusive, right? I mean, so there's always this strong things where we all need training um, on these special topics. I, what I would say is we don't all need basic training. Uh, some people do, some people don't, nothing wrong. Um, so I think there's an awareness that, we have to have as ourselves um, and also you know people in recruitment and HR can tell us you know this is where we need I, I think it's a mix but for me the reason I mentioned presentation and recruitment I view them as the same thing right I mean do I understand what I need and what my team is doing and the topics that we are executing on and it's having that conversation whether it's with an audience or with one person I mean for me it's it's very much the same thing right I'm, I'm telling a story and I need people to join my team's story. And you know, are they fitting that story? Um, so that's how I view it, right? So that's a very high level. And as I said before, I interview at a high level because I'm trying to assess um, high and mid-level uh, capabilities. So how do you reach that point? I mean, there are some people who are terrible presenters, right? Uh, but they have recognized that and then taken on training to become good presenters. I mean, it's definitely possible for everybody, right? We have different skills and different evolutions. So I think you have to have an, an awareness of where you need that uh, change. Uh, and obviously you should always be seeking feedback. Self-awareness is still, even if you're a very well self-aware person, you're still gonna miss many, many, many points, right? So this is where you're open to communication. You're asking for feedback from your team, from your manager, and from your recruitment partner to see where do you need to improve and, and then you obviously seek the resources to do that. So I, I think it's very dependent on people. It's not like that everyone needs to take this interview course, then do this, then do this, right? I mean, there's some things where we already have the skills and natural ability and then we need to look for where we um, can improve, right? Yeah, I don't I think there's a single formula. <clears throat> I would be so bold and say, actually, in my view, everyone needs uh, training uh, before starting doing recruiting uh, because I think that we are not really aware of the kind of biases that we bring uh, in our luggage and, and the biases that, um, that you experiment, um, you, don't, you don't really see them when you make the decision process of, um, of hiring someone and you need to be made aware of it and reflect on it. Uh, and before actually starting doing recruiting, I... I'm very, very vocal about uh, enforcing a certain set of prerequisites for the people who are involved in the recruiting process for my teams, ensuring that they are um, doing certain trainings for um, 
uh, yeah, reducing bias in, in decision making, uh, being aware of uh, what needs to be taken into account to, uh, to ensure that diversity is considered and, uh, and making diverse uh, uh, hiring decisions as well. Um, and I think uh, that we try, uh, we are not really so conscious about the level of bias that we bring uh, with ourselves because we just think simply not, don't reflect uh, that. And we don't even uh, inspect afterwards uh, once we have seen uh, their hiring decisions, whether there is a pattern. Am, am I actually uh, hiring uh, more uh, certain kind of candidates than others, be it age, be it um, a female or male ratio and so looking at it and being uh, critical about yourself and about your team results uh, on a regular basis using actual data uh, helps a lot to to fine-tune also the training process one thing that was really useful to me when looking at hiring processes was one thing talking to your team before you make any decisions about like the actual fit that you want that's specifically like tech and seniority I think are the most important things that you can get from your team when I first started recruiting um I thought we were looking for a back-end engineer to be honest because that's what we previously like hired into that team I thought that there was a gap there but I actually spoke to my team and they were like yeah I'm the only front-end engineer here we could really use more front-end experience um but where this comes into training is that um I before I did any interviews with other people I'd put in a meeting with everyone and exp explicitly said what it was that we're looking for in terms of like cultural fit, seniority, tech, because like by that point, you should have the clearest picture and they may not have that picture. And you need to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Also, I've got a few interviewers who'd never done any interviews before. They were always paired up with someone who had done an interview or that I was confident could like lead them in that. Um, and having that meeting there where they could ask any questions of me or anyone else meant that they immediately knew who else to go to for, um, for questions or anything and like could have a space where they could share any concerns. I think it's really important that your interviewers are confident and like empowered to make the right decision before they go into it. The first interview I ever did that was technical like my manager didn't do any of that and I was terrified absolutely terrified I hadn't even spoken to the other person who was doing the interview beforehand because I didn't know that I could um I maybe asked a couple of questions like what is it that I'm supposed to be doing here and it's just you, you just ask questions and it's like no that's that's not going to make for a good candidate experience one side of the table has to be confident in like what they're doing and your candidate is probably the least likely to be the confident one I think one of the things where I learned to get you know, better at interviewing that, you know, through the six years I was in Google, you know, you would always have three to four people interviewing after each other. And then you would all get together and everyone would say if it's a yes or a no. And when you said it's a no, then they asked you, all right, so what did they say at a specific question? And what was the answer you would have expected? So you could rule out that it's not just your personal perception or idea, but you know, that the group, there's a consensus that that disqualifies the candidate mm -hmm. or not. I do want to raise one question here that also came in a similar way from the audience. Um, and this is also something I learned from the head of recruitment at Salesforce, who said, sometimes it's important that you don't put people in situations where they don't feel comfortable in or that they are not supposed to be good at when they get hired. So if you are an engineer who's working all day coding something, do you need to be able to speak in front of four people on a whiteboard or present something? Um, what's your approach to the kind of methods you use to assess tech talent? 
It's a Where? very good question. I, I, we, we had this kind of introverts versus extroverts before, right? So I think you really need to be strong in like filtering this out and really going for what kind of attitude is behind that, right? So I think in order to get this, one, one thing that I believe everyone should start with is curiosity. So whenever you start, a, start an interview, you have to be curious because what you do is not actually testing someone for, for, for whatever you want to see, but actually you get to know person, right? So you, you, you have the chance to get to know person. Um, and then from, from that perspective, actually be curious and be surprised about what they can give you in this, in this conversation. And um, obviously, as you said, right, it's, it's not about having someone who's like outspoken and similar like you or whatever, right? It's, it's really like, even if they don't talk much, what, what do they actually think? How do, how do they approach, uh, approach things? So I think that's, that's a very, yeah, it's, it's as I said, right? You have to be curious and not check if someone is equal to you or you feel better because they, they, they do the same things you would expect. Um, so just look one level deeper, right? Yeah, and I'd like to add that what I like to do in, in every interview is to uh, start off with um, creating a positive vibe. Actually, basically yeah. to take out the tension from the get-go to just make it um, kind of start with something personal or something that, that, that breaks the ice a little bit, right? And then also when, when going into... Uh, into critical uh, situations and with critical, I mean, questions that might not be super easy for everybody to answer or challenges, then I'm also trying to go a little bit on the meta level and trying to explain there is no perfect answer or uh, um, you, you might not be able to get to the complete solution. It's, it's just interesting to see how, how you approach this, something like that, in order to already uh, make a candidate uh, not kind of or, or at least try to lower a little bit the the, the uh, um, kind of nervousness that that a candidate feels. And I I've personally been to been to processes that were entirely without this kind of nervousness, and this never felt good because um, I also want to be in a in an environment where I'm challenged, where I grow, right, where I can can uh, uh, learn new things basically. So a little bit of 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 uh, challengement in in a process is also good. But then the best processes were those where I felt um, uh, still comfortable. And that's what I basically also try to apply when, when I'm uh, interviewing candidates. Yeah, there's a fine line between nervous and being uncomfortable. Um, you know, to be very open, I've been interviewing a lot in the last three months and, you know, and it's been a while since I had to interview like that. And it's amazing how this, this feeling that's created at the beginning of the interview can you know, set the stage for the rest of the interview. I mean, I had one where I had two interviews, same company right after each other. Uh, incredibly difficult interviews, but just the atmosphere set by the first interview, um, I was able to struggle positively and come out feeling good. Uh, whereas the second one, I just felt so uncomfortable, right? I really didn't feel um, that it was a good environment, right? So we really should emphasize this point. The, the atmosphere that you create at the beginning, especially if you're a senior person interviewing is hugely influential on how the candidate will respond. Um, they're the same person, same questions, but they can respond differently, right? So, but, so that's really important for us on this side. Um, as we all know, interviewing is very difficult, right? It's, it's a difficult process, especially when we're dealing both with technical and, you know, compatibility. A lot of us are typically very stressed about the technical part. Um, and we all know, you know, jobs, 
financial <laughs> comfort, these things are important, right? So we have to keep this in mind, not just in the whole process, but in each and individual interview. How do you make it comfortable, but challenging, right? I think you're raising, I'm sorry, I, I've just got to kind of watch on the time there because I think you're making a point and at least I want to go to that last subject. We've already ditched Corona, so Corona is out. <laughs> is out. Um, but I, but you're, I think you're touching upon something that also many people have asked about already, which is the factor of candidate experience. Um, we do know that putting an application forward is stressful. You know, there's a stress scale from Homes and Where that, that tells it makes you vulnerable. Um, and so I do want to touch upon that topic on how do you think, how, how are any of you trying to create a positive candidate experience with tech talent specifically? Yeah. So uh, one thing that we tend to forget as hiring managers is the fact that when you are in a recruiting process, you are selecting candidates and the candidates are selecting your company, right? And um, and this means that you you try to create um, an environment, a candidate journey, if you if you want to call it that way, uh, in which um, both sides get as much information as possible in a in an honest way, to make a decision uh, that at the end is successful for both sides, right, to, for the company and for the employee, right, and and if we look at it that way, that it's not a one-sided uh, uh, approach. Um, it's uh, it's interesting to see that um, that you then uh, start uh, thinking about how can I provide as much information to the candidate as possible at an early step in the process so that we can uh, make the candidate understand if uh, we are also the 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 perfect fit or the the, the fit uh, that meets the expectations and uh, and if that's not the case i think it's fair enough it's better to fail fast and uh, that means reduce the amount of effort invested by the candidate and by your company by both sides before uh, you are at the end of the process and then the candidate actually discovers that um, what i'm uh, what we are offering is really not what is expected and you have gone through the entire journey right so i think transparency is really important to have a good candidate experience Yeah, I and I, I couldn't agree more. Sorry, Bastian, please go ahead. <laughs> just one, one note to that, like, especially when you do active sourcing. So if you if you start to speak to someone or to, to chat to someone on LinkedIn, for example, uh, it's important to, to track the process in, in a way and to ask back, right? How is it going? Do you have any questions? Uh, can I help you with something? Shall we have a quick call after the tech interview to, to, to just check in on how, how it was for you? It's what a lot of uh, great recruiters do, and I really appreciate that, right, that they that they kind of prepare you for the next interview even, and I think that what you can do as well, right, so when, when I have an interview and I know the next one is a tech interview and I, I I felt that this was a good candidate, then I tell them about the next step and what they would expect and that that's not something hard maybe for them because I believe that they will do it, etc., right, even wishing them good, good luck, etc. I think all of this is super important, but it again goes back to, we talked not to to some random resources, right? But we talk to human beings and we have to show an interest in them and also appreciate that they spend time with us, sometimes a lot of times, right? In some companies I've, I've worked for, we had eight interviews, so it's eight, nine, 10 hours they, they spend with us. And maybe in the end they fail or decide for another company. So we really have to give back as, as well here. I think every application, Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll give it, I, I'll hand it over to you. I just wanted to add to, um, because we've actually just run a study last year and we asked people, what do you find most 
humiliating in an interview or what do you, you know, what makes you lose trust in the company? And number one was people don't really show an interest in me as a person. That was number one. And then number two was I never get enough time to ask my questions. And that's something that happens so often, which is, oh, so we're, we're out of time. If Did you have a question? Otherwise, just email it, right? And then interview is over and they leave. So I think we should at least leave a third of the interview for interviews, uh, for questions of the candidates. You often learn more from these questions than from the answers before. Um, but Susie, yeah, I'm handing it over to you. Yeah, I think really important point, Daniel, what you just said. And um, Bastian wanted to pick your point, and Joaquin was yours as well. It's like, it's always a two-way street and um, you, a lot of application processes are quite long. And um, it can still be a very good experience though, because it can be a learning process. Yeah, so you can, both sides learn from each other during that application process. And a lot of processes I've supported over the past years, which at the end was a no, I got such positive feedback from candidates then and they said I learned so much from that engineering manager throughout that process it was worth every single step Susie and I'm like wow okay this engineering manager is doing something right so I think this is so important Bastian you said like giving feedback preparing them for the next interview um, and this actually this good experience that good candidate experience builds employer brand links back to that topic as yeah. well. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a great point you're making there. I also personally am still in touch with a couple of candidates that, that I couldn't hire because it, it, for some reason it didn't work out, but we're still uh, kind of checking in uh, once in a while, uh, kind of meeting for lunch or anything. And if there's future opportunities, then we'll be able to work together. And, and that's, that's actually uh, a kind of something that that uh, always should be um, should be known to everybody involved in this process that employer branding is is important right so also um, a candidate who, who doesn't uh, uh, kind of doesn't even de either decide uh, to to join the company or or uh, doesn't make the process is uh, speaking to friends to to the network and and so this pays into the the brand uh, of a company right from an employer perspective and there there I don't know a decade ago the the uh, or so the the term uh, kind of war on talents was was uh, coined and and also COVID didn't change a lot uh, in in that um, for for uh, specialist positions or or really highly educated uh, people there are there's a high demand and um, candidates they have a choice and it's well uh, kind of um, probably 15 to 10 years ago it was like uh, companies were choosing candidates nowadays it's uh, sometimes the other way around and that that needs to be taken into consideration and there's one more thing right which is which which adds up to what you just said it's not just employer branding but also it's your personal branding as an engineer manager right one thing is just just clear you are also as engineer managers you're also hired for your network and for your visibility, because it's, it makes it easier for companies to get people in, right? They've worked together before, et cetera. So if, if you have a track record with people, even if you don't didn't hire them, like Sebastian just said, right? You bring them with you for the, for the next role and the next role. And that's, that's just one part of your, of, your, of your value as a manager. I think also, and a few people have touched on this in the subjects of, of um, experience of the candidate is um, we need to be making sure that we're valuing their time as much as we value our own time like, and this this is, should really be the steel thread through your entire interview process is like how much time is spent in screening how much time is spent in doing um, mm. any technical interviews any in-person interviews 
Um, one of the things I don't know if this is a trend in Germany as well, but one of the things I don't like in the UK tech industry is like tech tests because a load of tech companies are doing them. I don't personally think that they add much value, but that is something that like your candidate is going to have to spend way more time than you are on it. And they're going to have to do like 10 of them. And a lot of them come out and say, like, oh, how long should I spend on this? Oh, two to four hours. OK, cool. So that's 40 hours. Like if you're assuming and it's going to take you longer than that, that's a full time job. They already have a job, presumably, if you know. Um, so like that needs to be a consideration as well. And the reason I say this is a still thread through everything is this also comes into like feedback. So making sure that you give them feedback in a timely manner, whether it's a yes or no, so that they can move on and like, you know, get on with their life effectively, because otherwise they might be waiting on you for ages. Um, and they're just like, that's if they apply again in future and you want to take them on, that's going to be a consideration. I just want to follow up on that. That's a great point. Uh, it's not just the time, but it's also for us. I think maybe the greatest skill set here is as engineering hires, maybe this is how it separates from other fields is how can you technically evaluate if you're using a test? I'm not a big fan of tests. I never do it. But if you do, you really should be able to get it done in one session or two. It can't be dragged out, you know, these five sessions. Um, so I think the one of the skills we need, you know, the questions as what, how do we evaluate our skills? I think one of the biggest skills then, if you're doing technical tests, how do you design it to be done in one or two sessions and evaluate and done? I think that's one of the biggest challenges. It's really a poor experience when you have test after test after test. And then another thing I would say in here, there's nothing wrong with the candidate wanting to understand what the test is about, right? I mean, we are busy. We've got lots of things to know. Um, they should be able to prepare for what you are going to test them on. It's not like they should be ready for anything. Well, if they're ready for anything, then don't have the test in, in the first place. And definitely don't say you're going to be tested on this and do something else. That is just terrible, terrible, right? I mean, we're all, you know, typically very smart, well-trained people. Be very open about what you're going to test and test for it and get it over with fast. And Suresh, uh, thank you for this. I, um, I kind of need to move on to our kind of final question um, for, for the evening. I did want to touch upon one last thing. Um, Charlotte, you said it's so important to give feedback. I would add that it's so important to also ask for feedback because you can only optimize your candidate experience if you also ask candidates how they perceived it. And only then you can optimize and understand. So, and we even have, we have some studies out that show that if candidates are being asked to provide feedback, they rate the entire candidate experience more positive than without. So um, that can be a very practical thing. So I do want to say we had so many questions. I, I apologize that we, we couldn't get to answer all of them. Some of them were very tactical around whether, you know, who should be getting the references, who should be in the interview, hire slow, uh, fire fast, how to hire freelancer versus employees, um, how the stats and jobs ad should be, they're definite tech tests now, and somebody made a very good proposal here, Susie and Bastian, you will need to acknowledge this. This is way too much for one panel. There needs to be a second and a third one, most probably. So, um, so very good feedback from the room here. And um, I think one thing, uh, Sebastian, you said, I, I love that, that saying you said, you know, the war for talent. I love the saying when they say war for talent is over, talent has won. And that's essentially where, where we are. Um, I like to say somebody in the process has to make an, an effort and candidates usually don't anymore. So we kind of you know, have to go towards them. Um, and talking about going, we wanted to end today with a question 
um, that is more practical related, which is if I wanted to be a better hiring manager, you know, a better engineering manager in hiring, and I go to the office tomorrow, what's the one practical thing I could start doing to get better? And I'll go through the room in in number of, uh, you know, video screens I have. And so Susie, you're up first. Yeah. So I just give you the advice, um, like review your recruitment process. When are you as an engineering manager actually joining that recruitment game? Is it the first touch point? I personally recommend you the first touch point. It's hugely important. They get to know you, get to know the team, get to know your team's mission, vision. You need to be out there like first phase and as Bastian said before, social hero as well. Wonderful. Thank you, Susie. Basti. What I would do is um, go to the people within your company or even outside. No, within your company, you really appreciate for their conversational skills and probably even the person you, who, who interviewed you when you joined the company and ask them if you can shadow their interviews just to see what they do, what kind of techniques they use. And then really start, as I said before, with some kind of curiosity and learn from it and see what, what does it tell you? Really even reflect on it afterwards. And I think this like observing, applying, observing, applying uh, helps you a lot in, um, in, in yeah, just becoming a better, better interviewer. Great, thank you. Joaquin, you're up next at my screen. Yeah, um, so I, I would definitely go back to my team and ask them, I, do you feel involved in the recruiting process and do you think you have enough uh, space and enough incentives to actually support? Because um, in my view, the hiring manager is, uh, is not a single threaded job, it's a team effort. And I would really like to have the feedback from my team, ask them, how can I help my team to make this a success together and not a, a one-man show or woman show? Thank you. Suresh, you're up. Yeah, I mean, in, this, in these highly competitive times, you know, hiring for engineers and data scientists, I would say look for potential. It's something, a big shift I made uh, uh, when I was at Omeo was hire for potential. Very precise, thank you. Charlotte. Um, I'd probably say in relation to diversity that we talked about earlier, um, take your job ad and like talk to all of your engineers, like ask all of them, would they apply for this job? Like, and that comes down to like whether they have the right skills, whether you're whether you're selling yourself correctly. And if any of them wouldn't like ask them why, um, especially the ones that are minorities, you know, like the women, the people who are like black people and that kind of thing, just to make sure that like what we've said earlier about the job, because it could be really subtle things that you're just not picking up on. And the more input you have on that, the better your overall pipeline will be. Sebastian, you probably guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> that my my turn is the next yeah so i, I just uh, actually want to expand a little bit on, on what susie said because this is also uh, kind of near and dear to my heart is the kind of as a hiring manager uh, having the first touch point i think or, or a, a touch point very early on in the process is a great chance and i i use usually try to uh, go into the interview with curiosity as bastian said and i see every every first interview as a, a as an opportunity to create a great relationship, be it a successful process in the end or an unsuccessful one, but this is a starting point for a potential great relationship. Wonderful. Then quickly to summarize, I think we had be at the first touch point, 
shadow interviews to get to get better at them make sure you've created enough incentives and support to support the hiring from within the whole team look for potential suresh i'm going to call you i'm not good at coding but my mom always says i have potential so maybe we we can get together at some at some at some point um, then then we had um, take take the job ads to all of the engineers make sure it, it's relevant and it has what it needs um, and then which I, which is probably a great way to end the panel before I hand it over to Susie. Just be curious because in the end, it's you know it's human resources. We're interacting with humans, and every interaction is an opportunity for a great relationship and a great um, you know connection, no matter what the end result is. Um, I thought today was a great connection, uh, and I appreciate all of the questions. I know that some of them might be answered via email afterwards. Um, Thanks so much for having me as well. And so then I hand it over to Susie, I think. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'll keep it short and sweet. Thank you so much for facilitating that today. Thank you to everyone in the panel today. Thank you, Bastian, for that great collaboration. And you know, Bastian, um, we're already planning after that uh, panel, the next one. We have a lot to do. <laughs> Good, <Great>. looking, <laughs> looking at the comments, yeah. Cool. So we'll definitely pick up all those questions. Thank you for everyone out there joining us today and see you on the next one, I'd say. And be a social hero. Find us on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy right. weekend, Thanks. everyone. Bye, everyone. Happy Bye. weekend. Thank you. Happy weekend. Bye. 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 Thank you. <laughs>